Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians that you've written to us that we would know you more or that we would be motivated and driven to know you more, to, to continue to grow in our walk with you. We praise you, Father, for your word given to us in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. A lot of us have gone from elementary school to middle school to high school. We, we continue on in our education, don't we? Charlie Meister, have you gotten a degree? I know I didn't ask you earlier, did I? You, you got a degree. What did you get your degree in, Charlie? Oh, which one? The one you're using now, I guess. Optometry. Doctor of optometry. So, and what do you do for a living? He's an optometrist. How about that? He got a degree. He's, he's going out and he's using it. Mr. Hegman, you have more of a hands-on education, don't you? What, what did you get your education in? Machine shop. What do you do for a living? He makes helicopter parts. He goes, he gets his education in, in machining, and he goes and he does something with it, doesn't he? That's what the, the point of getting an education is, to, to get it and then go do something with it. Go out, you get the degree, and you go and you use it. And in, in most employment opportunities these days, employers are looking for those who show some kind of an effort in what has been deemed a, a continuing education. People are going to seek out ways, find ways to continue to refine and grow in their field of study. So, we find ourselves sitting in the pews once again, don't we? All gathered together, all gathered around God's Word. We go to church, we sit in the pew, we go to Bible school week after week, and we receive an education. As Christians, we receive an education in God's Word, a knowledge and an understanding of who God is and what He has said to us and how it should apply to our lives. And as Christians, those who have believed on the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, those who understand that we are those who are of Christ, in Christ, and from Christ, as we discussed from the first two verses of this book last week, we are called to use that education that we've received and, and then to continue to grow in our knowledge and our pursuit, to, to seek out that continued education, to grow in that knowledge of Christ in our lives. For the Philippian saints, we're going to see that their education led them to an active sharing in hands-on gospel work. And an understanding that God is not done with them yet. They, they are expected to grow and, and continue to grow in their walk with Christ. Bearing fruit for the glory of God in their lives. Go ahead and open up to Philippians. If you haven't done that yet, Philippians chapter 1. Starting at verse 3. Philippians comes right after Ephesians, right before Colossians. Starting at chapter 1, verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. This is Paul speaking to the Philippians. 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Reading of God's word. Thank you. Um, We begin here. In the first five verses, verses three through eight, with a chiastic structure. And this chiasm, it points out the evidence of their education and the expectation of their education. A a chiasm is a literary means of bringing your reader to a crux, to a main point. It'll go something like this. A... B, C, B, A. The main point being C, right? Verses 3 through 8 shows us Paul's heart for the Philippians. We see that in verses 3 through 4. Then Paul moves on to why Paul feels this way for them in verse 5. Then he talks about God's work in them. And then he goes back to why he feels this way about them. And then his heart for the Philippians in verse 8. Paul loves the Philippians because he sees in them God's work in them. So let's start with Paul's heart. Paul's heart is seen in verses 3 through 4 and verse 8. When when Paul expresses his heart for the Philippians, one of the things we want to think about as we read this is, is it just love fluff? Is it just something Paul is saying to make them feel good about themselves? Or or is Paul making a point? And the point that I want us to see in, in this affection that Paul has for the Philippians is a major theme of this letter. And that theme is the necessity of unity in the body of the church, which Paul expresses to them in these thankfulness and affection statements. In verses 3 through 4, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. In verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this regarding the unity of the church. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The unity of the 
church is significant to Paul, very important, and it's a major theme of this letter. So it's something we want to pay attention to as we go through it. This, this is something that Paul feels they need to exemplify in their lives, just as they have already brought forth other evidences of their walk with Christ, of their education in Jesus Christ. Did you notice in that verses, oops, didn't mean to hit that button, in verses 3 through 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all, right? And it's just the same way he started this letter to the Philippians, saying to all the saints. Verse 1 of chapter 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, everybody here, that's who I'm writing to, because you're all one body. We see in verse 8 how he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for just a few of you. Please tell me you have your Bibles. All right. He yearns for them all, every single one of them, included in that body. Right? He doesn't leave a single one of them out. Paul loves the Philippians, and he wants them to have that same love for one another. It's not just a unity that acknowledges each other's existence and tolerates one another's presence, but one that prays to God in Christ for one another as Paul tries to set that example of praying with thankfulness and joy for them constantly. It's a unity that has the affection of Christ Jesus for one another that we'll read more when we get to chapter 2. One that lifts each other up to God in prayer with joy. One that understands the love that God has shown us in Christ and therefore we are called to have for one another just as Paul had for them all. A unity that comes from their shared walk with Christ a selfless unity in Christ. Was everybody that Paul wrote to just the most amazing person in the world? Paul had an affection for them because they were the kindest people, the, the most attentive people. Or, or is there a chance that in the Philippians church, there were, it was a lot like Alden Union, where there's, there's people with their idiosyncrasies, yeah? We all are a little bit different than some others. Some of us are a little different than most, right? Or we, we all have things that go on. It's, people think differently, and they are not the same anywhere at any time. Not then and, and not now. Syntyche and Euodia in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 2. Paul has to write to them. He points them out specifically. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So there were people in the Philippian church that weren't quite getting along. We all have faults. We all have things going on. We all think differently. We all speak differently. Sometimes we rub each other wrong. We are not always lovable all the time. But we share Christ together. And Jesus Christ is the source of our unity. We look to him 
as we share in one faith, as we share in one baptism, as we share in one Lord and one Savior. And that brings us together as one family, one body, here to encourage and build each other up. Paul loves them and desires that they have that same love for each other. But something I want us to to realize is that Paul's heart for them is not a blind, mushy, flower child. Oh, it's all good. Right? It's not that kind of, of a love for them. It's not that kind of love that he wants them to have for each other. But there is a reason for Paul's love for them. It's not like they were a bunch of jerks all the time and and they were unresponsive to the gospel, but Paul loves them anyways. There's a place for loving our enemies, but this isn't it. As Christians, we shouldn't be hard to live with and yet say, you should love me anyways. Paul has a reason for the love that he has for them and his desire to see them live out that love amongst each other. The Philippians have shown evidence in their lives of the education that he brought them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have responded in ways that he could see and recognize in them. Let me give you an example of that. Um, My wife, Pam, she plays the viola. You know that? Yeah? Now, would it surprise you at all if I told you she has a degree in music performance? Probably not, right? You hear how she plays and you go, that's an educated woman in music, right? She knows what she's doing. The evidence is there. The education has been taken out and something has been done with it You can see it. The evidences in the Philippians' lives give Paul reason to love them and to write to them in this way. We see this in verses 5 and 7. What are these proofs? What are these evidences that we see? Verse 5. Because, let's go back a little bit. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because he has this affection for them, this this love for them, these prayers for them, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Because they are partners with Paul in the gospel He prays to God with thankfulness and joy for them all the time. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In Paul's imprisonment, in the defense of the proclamation of the gospel they are all partakers with him in that grace of jesus christ the philippians didn't just hear god's word from paul and 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 then put that fire insurance in their pocket like yeah i'm not going to hell now i accept jesus christ and then they they go back about their regular lives but the philippians actually did something with their education in jesus christ and it could be seen in them that grace of god that paul had brought to them 
they had a, a koinonia, that, that word for fellowship. Uh, that it's the word here, partnership, is the way it's translated. They had a, a, an active sharing together in gospel activity, a, a hands-on sharing in that deliverance and, and confirmation of the gospel message with Paul right alongside there. We don't have too many details as to exactly how they did it or what they did, except that they partook. Again, in verse 7, it's that, that root word for partook is koinonia. They had a fellowship in Paul's imprisonment. They supplied Paul with financial needs. If we look over at chapter 4, starting at verse 14, we see what they did here a little bit. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They provided for Paul, giving to him in a very tangible way. They were partakers in his imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. They didn't just say, good luck! Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle, right? They, they got their hands dirty, their own hands. They dug right in there, associating themselves directly with a man who was in prison for the gospel, which could have very easily meant the authorities come right to them and take them just as well. But they were willing to get in there because they knew They'd been educated in. They understood fully the value of the gospel message and the salvation that they had in Jesus Christ. They fought for that same message that got Paul thrown in jail as they defended and confirmed the gospel, sharing that truth of Jesus Christ and speaking it with boldness. I was... uh, looking at the degree that I have from Chapman University hanging on my wall, and I, I noticed that on that undergraduate degree from Chapman, it says right underneath what the degree is, says, with all the rights, privileges, and honors, as well as the obligations and responsibilities pertaining thereto. I received this degree from Chapman. And they say, with this piece of paper, with this education that you received from us, you have certain rights, privileges, and honors. And certain obligations and responsibilities along with it. When we receive the grace, the knowledge an understanding of the gospel that brings us to an acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we should not only have a mind for the rights, the privileges, and the honors that we receive in that, 
that our relationship with Jesus brings us, that freedom, that, that forgiveness, that everlasting life, all those rights, honors, and privileges that we receive, the citizenship in heaven that we have even now, seated with the Son, even now. But we need to be ready for the obligations and the responsibilities that come with that same education, that same knowledge and understanding of God and His Word. We need to be ready to take up our cross, just as Christ said, and bear it for His glory. Because He isn't done with us when we accept His forgiveness. It is not a salvation moment. Now kick back. We show evidences of our faith as confirmation of that faith and and understanding that God is not done with us yet. Here's the crux of those verses. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, Paul says to them, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure of this because of the evidences and proofs that Paul has seen in them, in their character, in their actions, in their hands-on getting dirty with the gospel, that shared fellowship in in the faith. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is not done with them yet. It just made me ask myself, what are the evidences in my life? What are the evidences in our lives that that might evoke such a confidence in somebody else? That if I were to die today, they would say, that man is with his Savior. Don't doubt it one bit. I am sure of this. What proofs are there that that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not just as our Savior. Uh, That you are a partaker of grace and a partner in the gospel. For the Philippians, Paul has no doubt that he who began a good work in them would bring it to completion, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He had no doubt that God isn't done with them, that God began a work in them, that God continues to do this work in them, and he will continue to do it until the day of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ sets foot on this earth and judges sin, establishing his kingdom, or we pass on and we go to be with him where he is. If we have accepted Jesus Christ, if there are evidences of it in our lives, we need to understand that along with the evidences comes some amount of expectation. Verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God is not done with us yet. It starts at that moment of salvation and it keeps going until the day of Christ Jesus. We need to be those who continue to grow in our walk, who, who seek out the continued education, seek a deeper knowledge and understanding that we might have a greater discernment and a, a love that abounds more and more and more for one another and for those who have not Christ, those who don't know eternal life, those who don't have salvation. We need to be those who, who exhibit more and more the fruit of of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We need to grow in our love for one another and the unsaved, that agape, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's not just about acting Christian. It's about being in Christ. We need to grow in our knowledge of God, His will and His word. 2 Peter chapter 1. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be those who are, have a greater discernment that we glean from God's word, the, the ability to know what is right before God and what is wrong in his eyes so that we may approve what is excellent. That's what it says there, right? So that you may approve, verse 10, what is excellent. What is excellent in a fallen world? The will of God will of God is excellent in a fallen world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How is this going to happen? How are we going to grow in these things? A love that abounds more and more with knowledge and all discernment, being able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. How can we know God's good and perfect will if that is what is excellent in a fallen world? 
having had our eyes opened by the Spirit of God to the truth of Jesus Christ and God's own word, with the ability to understand God's plan and God's purposes according to his word. Do you know what a great advantage you have? There are people who can read this book and they take it to college and they serve it up as a literary study and they don't understand one word of it. It has no effect on their hearts. It has no effect on their lives. But we have God's own spirit that has opened our eyes to the truth Let's take advantage of that and continue to study God's word at every opportunity. Being under the exhortation of God's word, I'm so blessed that you are here to hear the preaching of God's word. Being under the in-depth academic study of God's word and its application to our lives. Go to Bible school. Find a good Bible study. Get in there. Let's find ways to, to be in the fellowshipping of God's word. Let's really seek out that small group ministry that we are trying to get going here at this church. That we'd have that, that one anothering in God's word, Christ-centered conversation, and how it applies in our lives that we might have a greater hands-on practicing of what we've learned from God's word. Is there really such a thing as a stagnant Christian? And yet, how many go to church and that's just where they want to be? I got my salvation in my back pocket and I'm good. Let us not be there. Here at Alden Union, let us never make that our goal. If we don't study and learn, if we don't spend time in God's word, getting to know him, getting to know his will, we won't be able to be those who partner in the gospel, ready to give an answer to anyone who asks of us the reason for the hope that is in us. If we don't study God's word, if we don't know God's will, how are we supposed to align our wills with one that we don't know? We've got to take advantage of that spirit that's opened our eyes and the word that God has given us. Having received an education in the gospel message and accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we need to ask ourselves, am I ready to get my hands dirty? Am I ready to live life on life with somebody else, with a, a group of other believers, encouraging them, building them up, taking the gospel out to the unsaved, speaking it boldly, being a partaker in all of this. Are we showing evidence in our lives? Reasons to be considered partners and partakers in the gospel. That if somebody else should look at us, they'd say, you're different. I need to know what it is that you have. What is this confidence that you have? Are we letting ourselves stagnate? Or are we continuing to mature in our knowledge and understanding, our, our love and discernment 
spending time with God and his word, and then bearing the fruit of our continued education. Let's take our degree out into the world and do something with it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this fellowship of believers, this body that you have knit together in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to to be those who take the education we have out there and do something with it, and then to, to continue in that education, to continue to grow closer to you, to continue to read your word, to continue to feed into one another, building each other up and encouraging one another in your word and our walk with Christ. Lord God, help us to be those who are ready to get our hands dirty with your gospel. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.